Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor, Mary Christian, joined by airline reporter, uh, Ned Russell. As we look at Ned's conversation with Air France KLM Group CEO, Ben Smith, um, and my conversation with incoming Southwest CEO, Bob Jordan, at the Skiff Global Forum. We also talk about the um, DOT, sorry, the Justice Department coming after American and JetBlue and their Northeast Alliance. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good, Madhu. How are you doing today? I'm great, and we're doing this in person, like sitting across from each other at the TWA Hotel in JFK. Yes, Madhu's wearing his natty blazer there, <laughs> like chilling out. But yeah, we're at the TWA Hotel where the Skiff Global Forum is wrapping up its its final day. And we've had, it's been quite the packed sessions. We've gotten some airline content and lots of uh, travel industry views. Absolutely. It's been a really good conference, and I'm glad to be you know, it's actually in person, and it's good to see you, Ned. But uh, you had um, a conversation with the Air France KLM Group CEO, Ben Smith, yesterday. And um, what, what did you learn from him? You know, it was what jumped out at me, I think, the most was was the fact that you know, he said he was pleasantly surprised when he learned that the U.S. was reopening to uh, to some vaccinated travelers on Monday. And, and that's big deal for, for the group. 40% of their long their long haul revenues come from US travel. So it, impressive, you know. And he's he's excited about that though. He wouldn't say if he popped any bubbly. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it's hard to tell when Ben Smith is surprised about anything because the man is very taciturn and doesn't kind of expressionless. So he he's he did say he was pleasantly shocked, but I you wouldn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> though he did have a fantastic background on his his view. Absolutely. <laughs> so for those of you who didn't see the session, uh, Ben Smith was speaking to us from he he had to beam in and he's speaking to us from the Air France off um office in Paris with the beautiful 18th century window framing the Eiffel Tower. It was it was very pretty. But leaving his office aside. I don't know. I, I kind of want to stay there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind working there. Leaving his office aside. I mean, so 40% of their, their revenue came from um, North America. But, you know, one thing that was kind of struck out, stuck out to me from this conference as well is that uh, when the Biden administration said it was going to lift the um, requirements for vaccinated travelers in November, uh, there are only three shots that have been approved in the U.S. That's Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson and Johnson. And um, a lot of Europe um, is vaccinated with AstraZeneca. I wonder, do you do you have any opinion on how that's going to affect? You know, it's traffic? it's interesting you bring that up. The Biden administration has not detailed the specific rules, but that's a really good question. I would hope that they're going to honor the vac the shots from from AstraZeneca, just because such a large percentage of people in Europe, Australia, a lot of other countries yeah. are, are use that vaccine. But you know, we sit as we sit here today, there's no details on exactly how these rule, new rules are going to be implemented. I mean, they have a almost you know, a month and a half till early November, so. Right. But yeah, it's a question. And then it, you know, another place is, uh, I think, Eastern Europe and the Sputnik vaccine. Yep. You've, so there's uh, and once Sinopharm China in yeah. Brazil, right? right? I mean, there's a lot of uptake for Sinopharm. We saw Latam Airlines reporting a 350 percent jump in bookings from Brazil to the U.S. this week after yeah. the announcement. And that's a question: if if people don't have the three vaccines, is the U.S. going to honor it? So. Right. Well, speaking of the um, the bookings, I mean, did Ben Smith say anything about uh, whether there's a surge in bookings after after the announcement? Like you said, he was a bit taciturn <laughs> about it and said there's there's no data available yet, and they're they're looking at it. Though his verge, his joint venture partner or 
Air France's joint venture partner, Virgin Atlantic, has said that they saw a 600% jump in bookings in the 24 hours after the announcement. Now, they didn't provide a base, so it could be they had one booking, <laughs> and now they have 600, right. but... <laughs> It still shows there's, to use the cliche, a lot of pent-up demand. Absolutely. So we, so he's excited, uh, as far as we can tell. He's excited about uh, about North America. But he also mentioned some of the, what, what I found interesting watching, is some of the regions of the world that have held up for Air France. Definitely. You know, Africa jumped out. He said Africa is very resilient uh, through the crisis. And, uh, you know, you part of that is certainly the large visiting friends and relatives traffic there and, and Air France, for those who don't know, is a large presence in West Africa. You know, they are one of the main carriers in the region. I was flying through Abidjan in Cote d'Ivoire a few years ago. I remember seeing an Air France A380, which shocked me to see such a big plane flying down there. But uh, well, right. I mean, clearly they, there's demand. They have a, a big network in Africa, particularly in Francophone regions. Um, uh, you know, so what you said about VFR is interesting. I mean, Africa, one of the things I picked up from this conference in another session that wasn't airline related is that, uh, you know, um, Africa has a there's a massive diaspora population all over the world from the continent, um, and the VFR traffic held up. Um, so you know, even if if you know the, we we have a little bit of a bias where we are, thinking that most travel to Africa is people tourists um, from uh, developed countries going to 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 safaris or what have you, and that is true. But uh, there's a massive VFR. Um, market, and that that's done well, according to Smith, right? Absolutely, definitely, that has done well. You know, that's really helped with the group. Yeah, and and through this all, you know, they've also been able to accelerate the transformation plan that mm-hmm. that Smith outlined in 2019. You know, they're they're moving forward with their sustainability goals. It, you know, he he covered a number of bases. You know, Air France can continues to move forward, and, and the crisis has has allowed them, you know, right. a lot of fronts. And but he was pessimistic about one thing, which I, as far as I could tell, I mean, it's it's hard to read his his expressions, but he was pessimistic about uh, Asia, right? That's right. You know, like many other airlines, few expect Asia to really start reopening anytime mm-hmm. soon. He didn't provide any specific timelines, but clearly, it's going to be behind North America, South America, Africa. You know, it looks like Asia is going to be sort of the last region to come back. And yeah, he, and, yeah, yeah. And Air France has a big network in Asia. So. They absolutely do. I mean, I think everyone needs a big network in Asia at this point, considering right. the the demand that's coming out of there. Yeah, well, so. that used to come out of there. <laughs> used to, correct. Now, uh, switching gears a little bit, Madhu, you got to sit down with incoming Southwest Airlines CEO Bob Jordan at the conference today. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. Um, so Bob um, Bob Jordan will be taking the reins from Gary Kelly in February. And um, he's kind of doing a charm offensive um, to to you know people to get people to know him, and um, it was it was great to talk to him. But uh, what was kind of interesting to me was um, he's really concerned about hiring. Absolutely, you know, when I was listening to to your talk with him, I was, I was surprised. Southwest is receiving 14 applications on average per open position, compared to 43 before the crisis. Right, and that's that's a a third of the number of applications they got before. And this is really, uh, most of us will know, you know, Southwest had operational issues over the summer. They've parred back their fall schedules, part of that from demand, but they've also cited just needing to get the staff built up. And it's it's funny, he, he gave an anecdote that Bob did, that he was picking up some food at Whataburger, a 
fast food restaurant in Texas, apparently. And stapled to his bag was an application for a job at Whataburger in case he was interested. And it just shows how everyone is struggling to to get entry-level staff here yeah. in the U.S. And he did not apply for the job. Um, but he is wrong. He was wrong on stage when he said it's the world's best burger. I happen to think In-N-Out is. And we, we discussed that a little bit. In-N-Out's a lot better than Whataburger. Sorry, anyone from Texas, but you know it's true. And what about heart Shake Shack, yo? All no. right. East Coast represent. <laughs> you know in your heart of hearts that In-N-Out is the best. But um, uh, so, yeah. So, you know, this is despite this hiring challenge is despite the um, – you know, the flight benefits and all the things that airlines offer to applicants. But you talk about the benefits, Madhu, and you forget an airline job also requires all the extra screening. You have yes. to get TSA certified. You have to go through all these hoops. Drug tests. Even if you're just, just you know, a bag of, you know, pick, taking bags off a plane and dropping it on a carousel. There's a lot of extra hoops versus going to work at Whataburger right. that you're going to have to go through to get and, a job. I mean, it, it in it, a ramp job involves being outside in all sorts of weather, and as um, and we know well that Texas summers are not exactly uh, pleasant affairs. Yeah, so. and and um, Minneapolis in the winter is not a great place to be outside. So it's it, you know when you so Jordan said we've essentially become a fifteen dollar an hour um, country, even though that's not you know the federal law or, or the law in many states, but that's that's where he thinks that uh, the wages have to be to attract talent. It's it's funny how it's become a business led, uh, not willingly, but you know businesses have just adapted this fifteen dollar minimum minimum wage because that's what like like he said it's what's needed to attract people, and even then, they're getting a third of the application. Right, and you know the weather thing and like the the screening. I mean, there's a lot of things. Even though you get to travel with an airline job, you have your um, you get to non rev. Um, you know, it's a it's a hard proposition. It's a hard sell to make to say to tell someone you're going to have to be outside for in January in Minneapolis for fifteen dollars an hour. When you know, I mean, an Amazon warehouse job is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it pays like twenty two or twenty five dollars an hour, and that that and you're inside. So it it's it. I can see it's a tough challenge. Yeah, I'm very curious how that plays out. You know, Southwest is has big hiring goals: five thousand people this fall. Another eight thousand in twenty twenty two because it's adding one hundred and fourteen aircraft next year. Exactly, and and these are across positions. They're not all um, entry level, but he did say the majority are front line. So you know they have a lot of people they need to attract and retain, and and it's it's not pilots and flight attendants. It's those rampers. It's the gate agents. Yep. It's those people that are on the front lines that that really really are the crunch. And it, it, it's a tough sell. Um, so that, that you know that was a really interesting thing that came up in our conversation. Um. You did mention briefly the 114 aircraft yes. airlines adding. You know, they Southwest. He, Jordan, you know, oh, did an overview of this, but they've added 18 cities during the past year and a half. Those took 92 airplanes to fill, and now they're taking 114 new aircraft that are basically going to allow them to rebuild their network depth yeah. that they they cut out when business jobs disappeared next year. And, and he called 2022 still a, a transition year in terms yeah. of the recovery. So. Is interesting hearing that from from the Southwest CEO. Like 2022 is not going to be back. Yeah. It's still going to be a recovery year. And that's really interesting. You know, so when he said that, like, so Southwest has roughly 600 aircraft in its fleet right now. It added 18 cities and expanded in Hawaii, which is, you know, so it was starting to do before the pandemic. So one sixth of its fleet is dedicated to Hawaii and new new um, destinations. And now, as as Ned mentioned, I mean, they're going to have to add a lot of schedule frequency to get back to where they were and um, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take 114 airplanes and a lot of staff. Absolutely, you know, it's uh, 
yeah, he's got his his work cut out for him in, in the new job that starts in February. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so that I mean, 114 airplanes. I wonder how that delivery schedule plays out. And I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. I remember the old TWA ads, like a new plane every week or right. something. It's, <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, 52 weeks a year. So you know, it's going to be new pl- two new planes two every new week. Two pl- new planes every week. That's That's something. And we're back. <laughs> hey there, Ned. How are you? Good, Maju. It's a pleasure to sit next to you for once. I know. It's great to do this live and uh, and actually be across from you in the TWA Hotel, which is a spectacular venue. It is. Now, speaking of the TWA Hotel, uh, this is a good segue. It's, it's built in front of JetBlue's home at GFK Terminal 5. And JetBlue was also in the news this week when the Department of Justice sued them and American Airlines over their new... Alliance, which many have called essentially a, a, um, pseudo a joint venture, yeah. Yeah, a pseudo merger, uh, in the term, in the words of uh, of the DOJ, and so it, they're uh, they also grabbed a lot of headlines. So tell us a bit about the suit, Madhu. Well, also, and let's not forget that TWA was acquired by American, so there we're you go. sitting in the TWA really? hotel across from the JetBlue terminal. Um, yeah, th- so the the Justice Department filed a suit uh, complaint in the um, uh, in federal district court for the District of Massachusetts alleging that uh, that uh, JetBlue the Northeast Alliance violates um, antitrust law and um, it's you know basically it says it it uh, reduces competition in the Northeast it, the consolidation has gone too far and JetBlue itself was an outspoken critic of consolidation and now seems to be rushing into consolidation. So it was very interesting. I'm not sure like I've I mean we've both talked to various people about this suit and it doesn't and the consensus seems to be that justice may not ha- make its case. It, it it is I mean it's interesting. So you talk about that uh Marty St. George former JetBlue executive uh, tweeted uh, at me uh, the other day about this and and said you know it's it's true in JetBlue's argument again you know defending the, the the alliance that there was no way for either JetBlue or American to gain the uh, a comparable size to Delta in the Northeast without teaming up right. and it, it's interesting when you think about it that way it does create a sizable competitor to Delta. Uh, United as well in the New York area, but you know, the suit looks at Boston and New York. So really, Delta is is the main right. main uh, the alternative. But it's it really feels like a rewind to the uh, to the the Obama administration Justice Department. I, we both remember the the lawsuit against the American Airlines U.S. Airways merger, which made a lot of the similar similar allegations about consolidation, you know, being a step too far and everything. Uh, of course, that was ultimately settled, and I, like you said, the consensus seems to be that this will probably be settled rather than right. go to court. There might be some relief required of the two carriers. Right. Now, both airlines were required to divest uh, slots at JFK and Washington National uh, as part of the DOT approval. Right. Uh, so, But those have not been awarded because the DOJ announced an investigation shortly after they implemented the alliance. So right. those, those slots are still pending any you know, dispersal to other airlines. Right. So, um, it, you know, and uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I had a, a little bit of a mind blank there. Um, but uh, American 
and JetBlue both obviously like came out against the lawsuit. And Doug Parker said they're wrong of the Justice Department. Doug Parker is speaking to the Washington Post earlier um, on the day Tuesday when the suit was filed. It was just flat out said like like you said they are they are wrong. This is a pro competitive alliance. So he's very very adamant in defending it. Right. And JetBlue made a lot of the same points in in what they released to the media saying that, you know, this, this is actually going to bring more competition, um, especially, you know, as you mentioned, Boston, DC and New York. And we've seen that, you know, there's definitely been, you know, when you follow airline network planning, airlines generally announce routes, domestic routes, six months out, maybe max international can be more like a year, but JetBlue and American have announced routes. Well, like this, we were sitting earlier this summer, we were getting announcements for summer 2022, which is very rare clearly a play like a play by JetBlue and American to be like look our alliance we're going to add nine new right. cities and you know JetBlue's going to go to Kansas City and Asheville and places like that clearly trying to put that line in the sand that this is the growth we will do under this alliance uh, before the DOJ did anything but had, did not stop the suit. I mean, I, I think that one of the main effects of this lawsuit will be will just be a chilling effect on further consolidation. I I mean, what's I left to consolidate? But. <laughs> no, no, I, I hear you, Madhu, but I never, like, beyond this alliance, I, I didn't expect really any additional consolidation as it was. Like, maybe uh, we all talk about the potential ULCC merger. Right. Area. A frontier spirit tie-up could happen one day down the line. But, I mean, coming out of the American U.S. Airways deal, I, I never expected another major merger. Alaska Virgin America surprised me, yes. as it did, I think, a lot of people, but... That yeah, beyond that, that's uh... well. I, I doubt that there's any political will for further actual consolidation, but there might be things around the margins like this, um, like the pseudo merger, as I think an analyst or maybe as someone at Spirit labeled it a pseudo merger. Yeah, Spirit did. Um, so there might be things around the margin, but this there's... could chill that kind of uh, th- that kind of deal making for sure. But it's you know, I mean, taking the DOJ's uh, view, I mean. The U.S. is it's it is essentially a uh, oh, is it an oligopoly. Is that the yes, right word? Like it, is... it, it, more than eighty percent of seats are flown by American, United, Delta, and Southwest right. in the domestic market, and it, there is competition, but also it's uh, pretty locked up. So, yeah. It really, yeah, it's uh, beyond, beyond <laughs> a, a frontier spirit deal. And I'm not saying I have any. It, inside information on that and they will both say that they're not talking so but you know that's it's yeah it's hard right to see it, it's really hard to see how this market can get more concentrated. Avelo breeze there you go that's the next big deal Avelo breeze. well <laughs> th- those things like started flying yesterday so <laughs> i think they need a little time before they start talking about mergers <laughs> and then there's always sun country <laughs> oh that's right but sun country's got a got a good good gig going on there oh so. that's a cargo operation for with it for amazon for sure but um, yeah, so th- I was really interested. To, uh, the suit was just really interesting to me because, you know, DOT has already signed off on this merger and it's really rare for, and and, and this rumor- Alliance, Madhu, you said merger. Oh, sorry. Alliance. This alliance. <laughs> uh, DOT has already signed off on it. And now D- DOJ is going back to another federal agency and basically saying, unwind this, which is not that common. <laughs> Madhu's the uh, the legal uh, precedent expert here, so I'll take his word for that. But I mean, I'm not surprised. We knew the DOJ was investigating yeah. it within a month or two of the Biden administration taking office. So and it's a new new Justice Department as well. Absolutely, and I I mean, I think every, not. I think everyone agrees 
the approval went through pretty quickly right in the weaning days of the Trump administration. So Yeah, and Justice made that point in its lawsuit to say that, you know, uh, Elaine Chao, the former transportation secretary, approved it 10 days before she left office. So uh, it, it was, you know, the ink wasn't even dry, and I she was probably cleaning out her desk, so she had to struggle to find a pen. So right. Uh, <laughs> so when you say it was, it's unprecedented for a one government agency to go to another. Like, was justice given the opportunity to really review it? I mean, it's we won't know. It's not something we have documented. Well, they usually there. review after the fact, and they're you know they they it, it's not pro not exactly pro forma, but it's it it usually if the transportation department signed off on it. You know, it's it seems rare for the for justice to go back and and say uh no take another crack at this <laughs> well we shall see i mean i think like you said most people expect a settlement and probably some more slot investors maybe some gates at some of these right. gate tight airports i know sitting today in uh still covid times it's not as much a concern but it will be it, it will be. be i mean this is sort of a it, it, it parallel i mean the faa just said they're going to award the 16 southwest 16 former uh runway timings at Newark uh, right. to promote competition. So it's, uh, you know, competition is definitely at the front of the new administration. And meanwhile, similar like slot news. I mean, uh, FAA also said that it's going to um, reinstate the 80-20 rule at... Um, for domestic flights. For domestic flights. And that was an interesting point, right, Ned? I mean, because like the... So New York, Kennedy, um, uh um, LaGuardia and De uh, Washington National are slot controlled. Are the only three slot controlled airports in the U.S. But it also applies to level two IATA um, slot. So Newark, managed. Chicago, L.A. and San Francisco. Is L.A. no, not L.A. Just yeah, Newark, no, LA, oh, L.A. and San Francisco. Newark, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco. Right. So, so um, you know, during COVID in March 2020, the um, the slot uh, the user loser rule was waived. And now that waiver expires October 31st, which means, which means, uh, you know, the airlines will have to operate the slots they have at all of those airports 80% of the time or risk forfeiting the slots to, um, to the uh, transportation department. Yeah. At my home airport, Washington National, I was just looking at American schedule the uh, week before October 30th and the week after. Now, October 30th is when the rule goes back into play. It goes up a third the week wow. after, and I can tell you, demand is not ratcheting up a third for uh, in DC <laughs> between October and no early November. So, it's uh, clearly airlines are are keen to hold on to their slots, and we're going to probably see some light lighter flights flying no, to some of these airports for for at least the interim. But the 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 um, suspension of the waiver, the um, elimination of the waiver, does not, as you mentioned, apply to international flights. So that means, you know. Carriers that have slots, like say United uh, at San Francisco um, or Delta at JFK or American or whatever, um, flying abroad don't ha are not subject to the eighty twenty rule, and that's probably um, and same for international carriers, and that probably uh, that has as much to do, I think, with fear of retaliation by foreign you know other countries that have slot controlled airports. Um, I believe EASA has has there have they've granted a waiver for for European airports through the summer. 2022. I believe that's right. So yeah, I mean, the DOT doesn't want you know, the European uh, European authorities to to say you know Delta's losing its slots at Charles de Gaulle or something. Right. Exactly. So. <laughs> Interesting times, interesting times. Well, let's leave it there, Ned. Thanks again for, for joining us on this week's Airline Weekly Lounge. Pleasure to be here, Madhu.
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>